Hello, and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast on COPD. We welcome Dr. Matthew Drake. Dr. Drake is a pulmonary and critical care physician at Oregon Health and Science University. The learning objectives of this podcast are, one, recognize the detrimental effects of COPD exacerbations on patients' quality of life, disease course, and health outcomes. Two, accurately assess the treatable traits of COPD, symptom burden, and risk of future exacerbations. And three, apply evidence-based guidelines to individualize treatment of stable COPD based on symptom burden and exacerbation risk. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from GlaxoSmithKline. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this PrimeMed podcast on chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD. My name is Matt Drake. I'm a pulmonary and critical care physician at Oregon Health and Science University. And today we're going to be covering three core learning objectives. First and foremost, we want to recognize the detrimental effects of COPD exacerbations on patients' quality of life and health outcomes. Secondly, we want to understand the 2020 gold guideline updates on disease classifications and particularly how these updates address treatable traits in COPD, such as symptom burden and risk of future exacerbations. And then finally, we want to apply these evidence-based gold guidelines to individualize our treatment plan for stable COPD. To do this, we're going to cover a couple of cases today. So let's talk about our first patient. This patient is seeing you in clinic. He's a 58-year-old male with a 60-pack year smoking history who presents for evaluation of his COPD. He's been hospitalized three times in the past two years for exacerbations, most recently one month ago. And he notes that he's finally ready to quit smoking, particularly since he's now short of breath with walking and has to stop to rest when walking greater than a block on level ground. He coughs up sputum multiple times a day and also reports wheezing to you. And he uses albuterol every morning and evening. He notes also that he is a long-acting inhaler, but he doesn't recall the name of it, nor does he use it very often. Now let's talk about how to organize your assessment of this patient. Now we often jump to considering treatment options, but treatments in this case are only one of the key elements to a successful visit for COPD. So let's run through what these key elements are one by one. Now first and foremost, it may seem obvious, however, if this is the first time you're seeing the patient, and even oftentimes in subsequent visits, you want to confirm you have the correct diagnosis. In this case, patients with COPD classically present with symptoms of dyspnea, cough, and sputum production. And importantly, they'll also have airflow obstruction on spirometry that does not fully reverse with a bronchodilator like albuterol. These pulmonary function test findings are very important since the differential diagnosis for dyspnea and cough are quite broad. Now, diagnosing airflow obstruction on pulmonary function testing involves first determining that the patient's forced expiratory volume in one second over their forced vital capacity, the FEV1 to FVC ratio, is less than 0.7, or in some cases less than the lower limit of normal as reported by your spirometry lab. Once you've determined that airflow obstruction is present based on that reduced FEV1 to FVC ratio, next determine how severe the airflow obstruction is by looking at the FEV1% predicted. Now here, it's helpful to remember the 30 plus 50 equals 80 rule that defines the cutoffs for disease grade as defined by the the gold guidelines. So an absolute FEV1 of less than 30% predicted is considered very severe airflow obstruction and is termed grade four. 
FEV1 uh, percent predicted of 30 to 50 percent is severe airflow obstruction and termed grade 3. 50 to 80 percent predicted is moderate, termed grade 2. And an FEV1 percent predicted greater than 80 percent is considered a mild airflow obstruction or grade 1. Now, for our patient, his post bronchodilator spirometry showed an FEV1 of 1.42 liters or 47 percent predicted. He also had an FVC of 3.75 liters or 90 percent predicted and an FEV1 to FVC ratio of 0.37. So now you note that his ratio is less than 0.7, which is consistent with airflow obstruction. And then when you turn your attention to his FEV1 of 47% predicted, you note this is consistent with severe COPD, otherwise termed grade three. Now, having determined the severity of his airflow obstruction, you next wanna turn your attention to potential causes of his COPD and particularly identify any modifiable factors, such as smoking or other occupational or environmental exposures that may can be contributing to his lung disease. Asking about the patient's family history, particularly signs of alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, is really important. He also, uh, it's important to assess whether he's had frequent or severe respiratory infections in the past that suggest an immunodeficiency. And then finally, thinking about his childhood and developmental lung history are also important remembering that reduced lung function in childhood is a predictor for reduced lung function in adulthood and development of COPD. Now, our patient's a smoker, as we mentioned, and has also indicated an interest in quitting. And so smoking cessation is, cessation is gonna be one of the key modifiable factors that should be addressed during visit today. After addressing this, next let's turn your attention to assessing the patient's symptom burden and exacerbation risk. These two elements have been termed treatable traits and are used to determine a patient's COPD ABCD group. A key point to remember is that a patient's COPD group is different than their COPD grade. You've just determined their grade based on their degree of airflow obstruction on spirometry. Their group now is going to be determined by their symptoms and their number and severity of exacerbations. Now you may be asking why you need both a grade and an ABCD group designation in COPD. And this is a really excellent question. Now, it's important to remember that pulmonary function tests in isolation are not useful for predicting mortality or exacerbation risk for individual patients. In contrast, the single greatest predictor of future exacerbations for your patient is having a personal history of exacerbations. And furthermore, these symptoms and exacerbation risk are also gonna negatively impact the quality of life for an individual patient, and they're potentially modifiable when you're treating the patient correctly. The 2020 gold guidelines provide guidance for treatment choice based on the ABCD group designation as well. So let's review how the COPD ABCD grouping works. First, let's assess the burden of a patient's symptoms using a validity questionnaire like the MMRC, which stands for the Modified British Medical Research Council questionnaire, or alternatively the COPD assessment test known as the CAT. So let's apply the MMRC to our patient. The MMRC asks the patient to rate their level of breathlessness on a five-point scale. Score of zero is a patient who has dyspnea only with strenuous exercise. A score of one is a dyspneic patient when they're hurrying or walking up a slight hill. A score of two indicates that the patient walks slower than people of the same age because of their dyspnea or has to stop to, for breath when walking at their own pace. A score of three means the patient stops for, breathe, for breath after walking 100 yards or after a few minutes. And a score of four is a patient who's too dyspneic to leave the house or breathless when dressing. Now, as you recall, our patient could not walk more than a block before stopping to catch his breath, which would correspond with an MMRC score of three. So now you've determined both the MMRC score and now you need to turn your attention to their exacerbation risk. 
So in our patient's case, he's had three exacerbations in the past two years, and specifically had at least one in the past year that required hospitalization. So you've determined the MMRC score and exacerbation history using the gold guidelines. Let's apply the ABCD assessment tool to this history. Now the ABCD staging algorithm is much easier to understand visually, so I encourage you all to look up the Gold Initiative 2020 updated ABCD assessment tool online. For those who are not familiar with this grading system, picture a square divided into four quadrants with each quadrant assigned a letter A through D. The y-axis of this square is defined by their exacerbation history, whereas the x-axis is defined by their symptom score, either the MMRC or CAT score. In the bottom left quadrant, labeled group A, are patients with either zero exacerbations or one exacerbation that did not require hospitalization in the past year. And they also have few COPD symptoms indicated by an MMRC score of zero to one or a CAT score of less than 10. In other words, these patients are low risk for exacerbations and their dyspnea does not limit their activity in a significant manner. Now, what about the bottom right quadrant? This is group B. They also have infrequent or mild exacerbations, either zero exacerbations or one mild exacerbation in the past year. However, this group also has increased symptoms compared to quadrant A. Their MMRC scores are two or greater, or CAT score is greater than or equal to 10. Now for both these groups, a long-acting muscarinic antagonist known as a LAMA, or a long-acting beta agonist known as a LABA is recommended as first-line treatment. In contrast to both these groups, the upper left quadrant, labeled group C, indicates patients who have had one or more exacerbation that resulted in hospitalization in the past year, or two or more moderate exacerbations. However, like group A, their MMRC or CAT scores are low, meaning despite having an elevated exacerbation risk, they have few symptoms. And for these patients, a LAMA is recommended as the initial haler of choice. In the upper right quadrant, we have group D, which indicates the highest risk patients from both an exacerbation risk standpoint and symptom burden standpoint. Patients in group D have one or more exacerbation that resulted in hospitalization in the past year, or two or more moderate exacerbations, and they also have an MMRC score of two or greater, or a CAT score of greater than or equal to 10. Now for these patients, a LAMA is recommended as the first line inhaler. However, if they have particularly high symptom burden, a LABA is also recommended in conjunction with a LAMA. Our patient has both a high risk of exacerbation based on history and a high MMRC score and therefore meets criteria for group D. And given his particularly high symptom burden, it's reasonable to recommend starting him on a dual LAMA-LABA combination inhaler, a long-acting muscarinic antagonist and a long-acting beta agonist combination inhaler. Now, COPD groups correlate with the impact of their lung disease on quality of life and it closely is tied to their future exacerbation risk. So having determined this, next make sure we are prescribing inhalers and ensuring that they're trained on inhaler technique. Anytime you're prescribing an inhaler, you wanna make sure the, the patient knows exactly how to use it. And this is particularly important since there are so many different styles of inhaler on the market. Now, in addition to inhalers, there are several non-pharmacologic interventions that you should consider as well for your patient. First and foremost, do they meet criteria for long-term supplemental oxygen? Now, you'll recall that the criteria for prescribing supplemental oxygen include patients whose resting oxygen saturation is less than 88%, which equates to a resting partial pressure of arterial oxygen of less than 55 millimeters of mercury on an arterial blood gas, or if they have desaturations to less than 80% with activity. 
These recommendations are based in part on the results of the NOT trial, the NOTT trial, as well as the MRC trial, which both showed improved survival with supplemental oxygen therapy. In addition, patients with core pulmonality may receive oxygen if their resting arterial oxygen is less than 59 millimeters of mercury or if their oxygen saturation is less than 89%. Now, if their EKG shows evidence of right atrial enlargement, otherwise known as P pulmonale, they may be considered for oxygen as well, or if their hematocrit is greater than 55%, or finally, if they have any other evidence of clinical right heart failure. Patients with sleep apnea and nocturnal desaturations that are not corrected by CPAP should also be considered for supplemental oxygen. Now, don't forget to consider your patient for pulmonary rehab referral as well. Pulmonary rehabilitation is another key consideration for patients who have recently been discharged from the hospital. And this really applies to patients in, with uh, group B through D COPD. Other things to consider at this point include referral for lung volume reduction surgery. Now, there are many criteria to consider when determining who should undergo lung volume reduction. But in general, your patient should be less than 75 years old and have a post-bronchodilator FEV1 of less than 45% and a DLCO or diffusion capacity of greater than 20%. They also should have evidence of air trapping on pulmonary function testing and upper lobe predominant emphysema on a CT scan. Patients with a low maximal exercise capacity after completing pulmonary rehab were also those most likely to derive benefit from lung volume reduction. Now finally, patients less than 65 years of age who have severe COPD should also be considered for referral to a lung transplant center who can consider whether a lung transplant will benefit them. And finally, make sure to, that your patient's vaccines are up to date. Annual influenza is a must as is consideration for their appropriate pneumococcal vaccination. So the CDC recommends that patients who smoke or those with COPD should receive the Pneumovax 23, and physicians should also discuss the benefits and risks of receiving the Prevnar 13 vaccine, which can be given in addition to Pneumovax 23. Now, as a last part of your visit, many patients with CO who have COPD have comorbidities that negatively contribute to their disease course overall. In particular, things like cardiac disease, diabetes, osteoporosis, obstructive sleep apnea, and other diseases may have adverse effects on their overall health and should not be overlooked. So we've covered a lot of ground here. Let's recap the key elements of our patient's visit. First, you confirm that your patient has severe grade three COPD and group D COPD and appropriately have started a combination LAMA-LAVA inhaler. You've also addressed his smoking, assessed for comorbidities, provided inhaler training, and referred him to pulmonary rehab. And just as he's about to sneak out the door, you gave him his flu shot. Well done. Let's jump forward in time now, however. Six months have passed, and the patient's returning to your clinic. And since you last saw your patient, he was admitted again to the hospital for an exacerbation, despite demonstrating good adherence with his inhaler regimen. Now, at this follow-up visit, he asked if there's any other treatments available. And this is an excellent time to consider one of the key updates in the 2020 gold guidelines pertaining to the use of inhaled corticosteroids. Recent studies have shown that patients with the greatest response to an inhaled steroid are those with elevated eosinophils. And therefore, since he continues to have exacerbations despite optimal dual inhaler therapy, it is worthwhile to check his peripheral white blood differential to determine how many eosinophils are present. For patients greater than, with greater than 100 eosinophils per microliter in their peripheral blood, adding an inhaled steroid is recommended in addition to their LAMA-LAVA dual inhaler. 
This inhaled corticosteroid, long-acting muscarinic antagonist, and long-acting beta agonist therapy is termed triple therapy and can be given separately or as a single inhaler device. In general, the higher the number of the eosinophils in the peripheral blood, the greater magnitude of effect a patient can expect to receive from an inhaled steroid. Now let's take a moment to briefly talk about these triple therapies since they're newer to the market. In general, triple therapy is recommended by gold guidelines for patients who experience recurrent exacerbations despite treatment with either a dual bronchodilator or for those who are on a long-acting beta agonist with an inhaled corticosteroid already. The two currently approved closed triple therapy uh, inhalers include the fluticasone, umiclididium, and valanerol branded as Trilogy Ellipta, or the budesonide glycoperolate formoterol. This one is branded Brestree. A number of the recent trials have looked at outcomes in COPD when using a closed triple inhaler system compared to treatment with a dual therapy inhaler. And I'm going to encourage you to check out the primary data for these trials, in particular trials like Ethos, Intrepid, Impact, Trilogy, and Tribute. However, without spending a ton of time discussing the details of these trials today, it's important to note that, in general, these closed triple therapy inhalers led to fewer moderate to severe COPD exacerbations compared to dual inhaler therapy. And furthermore, they improved a number of other patient-reported outcomes in these trials. Now, let's reflect on the patients who have less than 100 eosinophils per microliter in their blood. What options do they have? In these patients, an inhaled steroid is not indicated. They're not likely to derive benefit and they're potentially gonna suffer harms from inhaled steroids, such as an increased risk of pneumonia. So rather than consider, rather than an inhaled steroid, consider adding either azithromycin or fumolast as recommended by the gold guidelines. So let's see, now that we've covered all this, let's see if we can apply our understanding of COPD grading and grouping to determine the appropriate treatment for our next patient who's walking in the door. Our next patient's a 63-year-old female. She smoked for 30 years and quit four years ago. She was diagnosed with COPD several years ago and has been taking a long-acting beta agonist inhaled corticosteroid dual inhaler for a few years. And she's seen you today discuss her treatment options after experiencing an exacerbation last month that required hospitalization. On her pulmonary function tests, her post-bronchodilator FEV1 is 1.82 liters or 67% predicted. Her FVC is 3.19 liters, or 82% predicted, and her ratio, her FEV1 to FVC ratio is 0.57. So I'm gonna give you a few moments here to try and calculate her COPD grade using the 30 plus 50 equals 80 rule. And as a reminder, her ratio is 0.57 and her FEV1 is 67% predicted. Okay, so as you thought through that, hopefully you noted that her ratio being less than 0.7 indicates that airflow obstruction is present, and her FEV1 of 67% predicted means she has moderate grade two COPD. Now what about her COPD group? So let's say her MMRC assessment score is one, indicating shortness of breath only when she's hurrying or walking uphill. And let's, uh, knowing that, as well as the fact that her most recent exacerbation was one month ago, determine her COPD gra- uh, group using the ABCD staging algorithm. Okay, so you thought through that. Hopefully you came to the conclusion that she's a group C COPD. Remember, group C patients have had one or more exacerbations that resulted in hospitalization in the past year. However, their MMRC or CAT scores are low. In her case, her MMRC score was less than two, meaning that despite having an elevated exacerbation risk, she has few symptoms. 
Now, since she's currently on an inhaled corticosteroid and long-acting beta agonist, and she's still having exacerbations at this point, you should consider whether she's deriving benefit from inhaled steroid, meaning, in particular, her blood eosinophils greater than 100 cells per microliter. If her blood eosinophils are less than 100 cells per microliter, consider, consider changing her to a long-acting muscarinic antagonist and a long-acting beta agonist dual combination inhaler. However, if her eosinophils are elevated over 100 cells per microliter, Consider escalating her therapy to triple therapy using a combination inhaled corticosteroid, long-acting beta agonist, and long-acting muscarinic antagonist inhaler. Okay, so that's nice work. Let's summarize all the components of our COPD assessment and treatment. Now, for all patients, confirm the diagnosis of COPD based on spirometry and symptoms. Furthermore, determine the patient's COPD grade based on their degree of airflow obstruction on spirometry and calculate their COPD group using exacerbation history and an assessment of symptom burden. Make sure to start treatments based on their COPD group, typically with a long-acting muscarinic antagonist. Add a long-acting beta agonist for patients who continue to have exacerbations while on a llama. And if patients continue to have exacerbations or uh, dyspnea despite being on a dual llama-lava inhaler, consider escalating to triple therapy with the addition of an inhaled corticosteroid. And this is particularly pertinent for patients with evidence of elevated blood eosinophils greater than 100 cells per microliter. Now, don't forget to consider potential medical comorbidities and ensure that their vaccines are up to date. In some cases, they're gonna be candidates for pulmonary rehab and refer them if appropriate. And finally, make sure to test to see if they would benefit from supplemental oxygen therapy. Thank you all for listening today to this PrimeMed podcast on COPD. I hope everyone has a great day. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description, where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit.